Well, hey, good morning, everybody. I want to tell you something about me that maybe you don't know. One is that I love life to the full. I do. In fact, I think I'm a lot like you. I not just love life to the full, I absolutely want life to the full. Like, have you ever had that experience where you've gone to that new restaurant and, you know, it got hyped and everybody's talking about it and you're like, yeah, 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 let's go, let's go. And your expectations are way low and you take that first bite and you're like, unbelievable. Like it exceeds all expectations and you want everybody in the restaurant to taste what you're eating. It's just so good. I want that life. I don't want it once. I want it a lot. Like, I remember the first time I heard The Clash. You know the band? Should I stay or should I go? If I stay, there will be trouble. If I go, I thought that is the best song on the planet. I could not stop singing that my freshman year in college. I loved that song. And for me, it felt like every time it came on, full, 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 full. And that was back before we had like apps and you could hit replay. You had to wait till it came on the radio again. And sometimes that would be days, but when it came on, what did you do? Shh, everybody be quiet, be quiet. It's on, turn it up. Should I stay or should I go? You know, I know it's cheesy, but so is your song. All right. Your song is cheesy. Trust me, in 20 years, when you tell everybody, oh, my favorite song, everybody's going to go, you've got to be kidding me. Really? That song? So I'll tell you what happened. It's not just that I have a passion for full. I have an insatiable desire for more. Maybe you can relate to this. Like, you may not know this about me, but I'm a Swifty. I love <laughs> Taylor Swift. Absolutely love it. And when she came in Asheville, my prayer was, dear Jesus, would you please give me a ticket to Taylor Swift? And lo and behold, somebody gave me a ticket to Taylor Swift and it was in the nosebleed section. I didn't care. I was in, you know, she's there. I'm here. We're here together. But as I started thinking about being in nosebleed, I was like, is that really life to the full? I'm like, it's kind of full, but it's not really full. What would really be full is if somebody gave me a better ticket and it happened. Somebody gave me a ticket on the floor. I'm like, yes, there is a God in heaven, you know? And so I'm ready. I'm thinking to myself, well, Taylor, she's up there. I'm down here. I'm on the floor. Like we're in the same room. We're breathing the same air. This feels like life to the full, um, but it could be better. You know, it'd be great is if I had a backstage pass and somebody got me a backstage pass. And then I started thinking, that's not enough. You know, what I really need is I need Taylor to come and get me and then take me to the concert. And then as she's singing, I'm on the stage with her and she's singing every song directly to me. You're laughing. I'm not a Swifty. But here's the one I... Let me close in prayer and we'll come to the communion table, all right? (laughs) Are you like that though? Are you like that even when it starts to feel full, there's a part of you that says just a little bit more. Maybe not full enough. In fact, I have such a life capacity for more. 
Like I told you guys, you know, last summer when I flew to Africa, I got bumped to first class. Have you ever flown first class overseas? Yeah, I'm gonna tell you, it's serious. It's like, I mean, your own little compartment, they know your name, you know, you have people waiting on you hand and foot. As I'm walking into first class, forsaking all my compadres back in coach, just turned my back on them immediately, I'm walking into, I was made for this. I, I found it so easy to adapt my life now to first class living. Fullness, give me more. You know, we're so adapted to more that we just start consuming and we start consuming so much because of our passion for fullness and more that sometimes we don't stop and ask ourselves, what are we consuming and why? I used to have a dog who loved to eat the trash out of our trash can. And you know what? He would smell the food we had from dinner last night and he would dive in while we were gone to get to whatever he smelled. But he ate everything on the way to that thing. Like he ate trash and plastic and paper. He ate it all. Like he just, he consumed it all. We do the same thing. On our way, because God made us this way. In fact, it's what Jesus said. I came to give you life and life to the full. And my insatiable desire, because I was made by God, and I was made in his image, and I was made for full, I start consuming everything. And I make myself sick. And here's what's crazy. I end up loving the wrong things. And what we're going to talk about for the next 15, 20 minutes, we're going to talk about how do you know the wrong things that you're loving? And do you know the wrong things that you're eating that are making you sick and keeping you from the life that you were intended to live in Christ? Do you acknowledge that? Do you have to see it? If you don't see it, you won't ever deal with it. And if you don't ever deal with it, it's always going to deal with you. And church is going to be a powerless experience for you. Coming here to Midtown is going to be an empty, religious place where the songs are fantastic and you love the music. The sermons are kind of interesting, but there's no powerful life transformation that's happening in you. And as a result, there's no powerful life transformation that's happening out of you. Guys, if you're in the body of Christ, in your wake should be people's lives that are being transformed. Because the mercy and the grace of God that is supernatural, that has exploded in your life, you cannot contain it. And it, it explodes all around you. That should be the normalcy of our life. And if that's not happening in your life, hang on. We're going to Revelations chapter 3 because we may need to deal with some stuff. You ready? kind of hate that I lied to you, got about, you guys about Taylor Swift. <laughs> Can I be honest with you guys? I don't know one Taylor Swift song. Isn't that sad? Hey, she's just a girl like us, all right? So easy. So we're studying the book of Revelation, and let me tell you this first little part of Revelation. Jesus has written a letter to seven different churches that were in the region. Now, these seven churches, seven is the number for perfection in the book of Revelation. So what we begin to understand is that Jesus didn't just write these seven letters to seven churches. To them, he also wrote it to us. So we get to take this letter very personal as if it's being written to us. Are you with me on that? So we're in Revelation chapter three, the church. We're not going to study all the letters. Uh, this is the church. This is the church called Laodicea. Um, 
And it starts in chapter three, verse 14. And the way we're going to do this uh, is I'm not going to have somebody read. We're just going to study our way through it. So if you don't have a Bible, you need one because you need to be able to see where we're going. Open up your phone app, whatever you need to do. We have Bibles in the win windows. If you need it, somebody will bring you one. Just raise your hand if you need a Bible. We, hey, hands over here. Pass the Bibles this way. Pass them over. There you go. Window seal people. You can do it. There we go. Keep passing. Keep passing. Keep your hands up. We can do it. This is a work of community. Let's not fail. Keep it going. Keep it going. All right. There you go. Thanks, Chad. Look at that. Verse 14. Lord, bless us as we study your word. Open our eyes to what we cannot see right now. We are blind and we confess to you, Father, uh, we love to eat trash and we call it life. And so, Lord, we need you to help us to see that and put it down so that we can understand all that we have in you. In Christ's name, amen. Verse 14, these are the words of Jesus to the angel of the church of Laodicea writes. These are the words of the amen, the faithful, the true witness, the ruler of God's creation. Now let's just stop for a minute because Jesus is doing something here that he doesn't do any other place in all of scripture. And because this is uniquely here, we need to stop and at least acknowledge what's going on here. Because Jesus is saying, I'm going to give myself four names. And these four names are how I want you to know me as you relate to the letter that I'm writing to you. Get this, Jesus is saying, these four names are gonna show you four things about me that you're gonna need before you read the rest of this letter. The first is, he says, I am the amen. And what does he mean by that? Like, because we use that at the end of a prayer. But what that amen word actually means it means the alpha, the omega, the final word over everything. Jesus says, my word, my words, my name is greater than any name, anybody, anywhere, anyhow, any situation has ever named you. His name is greater than your shame. It's greater than your failures. It's greater than your brokenness. It's greater than anything that has ever been pronounced over you or you are pronouncing to yourself. Jesus says, I am the final word. That's big, isn't it? Wow. We could take the next 45 minutes and talk about all the things that have been naming you and how you've embraced them and you've eaten the trash of them. And when Jesus comes in and says, I have a better name, we go, no, you don't. And the battle of faith, that is. But we're not going to do that. That would have been a great sermon. Because he goes on and he says, I am the faithful. Do you know what he means by that? He will never abandon you. All his promises are yes to you. And you can trust everything he says. How do we know that? Because his next is, I'm the true witness. Everything he says is true. That means every promise in the Bible is to you. And every one of those promises, and there are thousands of them in here, are all stamped approved with the name of Jesus Christ. Every one of them. Do you know the Israelites in Numbers chapter 21, when they were in the desert and they were running short on food and water, and they began to grumble, they said, God, you just brought us out here to die. And God's looking at them going, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I promised to take you to a new land, and now you're calling me a liar? 
Like Jesus is saying every promise, outrageous it is, is yes in Jesus Christ. And then finally he says, and guess what? There's nothing greater than me. I'm the ruler of God's creation. I, there is no, there's no authority to appeal that is higher than me. I am the highest of the high of the high. All authority flows from me. I am not powerful. I am power. All things that are powerful gain their power from me. I am the highest of authority. And why is he saying all this? I want you to imagine. It's like Jesus is taking this little church's face and he's looking at him and he goes, hey guys, remember who I am and remember I love you. That is scary. Let me give you a little example. If you're married here today, is anybody married here today? If on the way home from church, your spouse says, when we get home, we're going to talk. And this is how the talk starts. They come over you and they grab your face and they go, hey, no matter what happens, just remember, I love you. What is about to happen? That's what's happening here. Jesus is taking their face going, oh, guys, guys, the waters are about to get rocky. All right. This is not going to be easy. And you just need to remember, I love you. And how do you know that I love you? I'm the amen. I said, I love you. I'm the true witness. I am faithful and I am ruler of all things. And if I say I love you, that means I love you. So here comes the boom. Verse 15. I know your deeds. You're neither cold nor hot. I wish you were either one or the other. I know your deeds. I know that you're not cold and you're not hot. And I wish you were either one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither cold nor hot. What does he say there? Somebody read it. I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. Wait a minute. You just said you love me. Now we're talking about spitting. What's happening here? Well, let me give you a historical context of what's happening here. So Laodicea did not have any fresh way to get water to their city. They had an aqueduct system from Colossae that actually brought water from the springs in Colossae. But if you, want, if you went six miles in the other direction, Heropolis, there were hot springs in Heropolis. Now, why is that important? Because the hot springs where people traveled for vacation. The hot springs are where you go to get healing and, you know, and rejuvenation and all the promises of health and all that stuff. That's where you went. But the waters from the hot springs in Heropolis flowed downhill. And you know what direction they flowed into? Laodicea. In fact, if you were standing in the city of Laodicea, you could look up and there was a cliff that was about 300 feet above the city. And coming off the cliff was a waterfall of the waters coming from Heropolis. The hot springs that used to be hot, but what are they now? Lukewarm. And what was amazing was when they came over the waterfall, the calcium carbonite would start to form this crest on top of the waterfall. So it had this almost pure white top of the waterfall. And as the water's coming off it and the sun, the sun hit it, it was beautiful. You could sit there and go, that may be the most beautiful waterfall I've ever seen in my life. That is gorgeous. Look at that thing. We should paint it. But if you went down to the bottom of the waterfall and you took a cup and you sipped it, it would make you sick. And here's what Jesus is saying. <laughs> 
church, remember, I love you. You are beautiful, but you are toxic. Wow. What? Jesus is looking at the church in Laodicea and saying, you are a beautiful group of people. I mean, man, you are gorgeous. But there's death in this place. This should be a place of healing. It's not. This should be a place where people come and drink fresh water. It doesn't. You look beautiful, but there's no power here. The only power here is the power to sour your stomach. Well, what is happening? What is so toxic about Laodicea? Verse 17. Here it is. You say... I am rich, I have acquired wealth, and do not need a thing. Boom. Here's what they did. Jesus, we found that without you. And boy, did they. Let me tell you about this community later to see it. The first thing that we know about it is, man, they were flush with cash. They were loaded. This was one of the most wealthy communities in all of the Roman Asian empire. Uh, These guys were bankers, and this city was a city of banking. In fact, here's what's incredible. We have historical documents that say that when the Jews in Jerusalem were suffering and struggling and didn't have what it take to survive, they sent a letter to the Jews in Laodicea and said, help, can you send us anything? Anything would help, a couple of bucks, that'd be great. Shut up, Siri. Uh, you know what they sent? 22 and a half pounds of gold. Do you know how much that's worth? Take a guess. Several billion? I have no idea. Ted, that's probably a great guess. I didn't look it up. That'd probably be what a good preacher would do. But let's just say it was the B word, all right? Billions, all right? No skin off their nose. They're like, hey, we're going to just send you a bunch of cash. In fact, we have also historical documents that our earthquake hit Laodicea, leveled parts of the city. And so Rome sent an ambassador to Laodicea to kind of survey what's going on, like Biden did with the hurricane, you know? And he comes back to Rome, and Rome sends a letter to them saying, hey, we've pulled together some resources, and we're going to allocate funds to help with the rebuilding of Laodicea. You know what they said? No thanks, we got it. These guys were loaded, super loaded. They were super rich. In fact, Guess what? They didn't have to say more. They had it all. Boy, it's so tempting. I, I, I got to tell you, I love money. And if you don't love money, you're a better person than me. Because I love what money gets. I love the access to restaurants that money gets. I love the access to vacations that money gets. I love, I love access to somebody cleaning my house. I love that. Have you ever had that experience? It is glorious to not spend your Sunday afternoons cleaning your house, have somebody else come and clean your house. I love money. And it is so tempting to think that money's going to fill me up. And here's what I love about it. I don't think money fills me up, but maybe a little more would. Well, okay, well, let's keep going. Because they weren't just rich. They looked good. 
Oh, they were, they were the height of fashion. This was a town that was known for their glossy wool. They, some kind of sheep that they, they raised there, they got this special kind of wool, and it made a certain kind of fabric that made Laodicea a fashion center for the known world. So they didn't actually, they're not just wealthy, they looked good. And I got to tell you, I love looking good. Like, do you like looking good? Do you ever look at, let me ask you this, do you ever stand in front of the mirror and go, that's because you love looking good. Do you ever hate yourself in the mirror? It's really because you love yourself so much, you don't think you deserve to look like that. Like, think, honestly, it's self-love. We love to look good. And guess what? In a town like this town, you know what comes with looking good? Power. It's powerful to be good looking. It is so powerful to walk into some place. Have you ever walked into a place and seen a celebrity here in Nashville? None of you? Y'all don't ever get out. I know this is the only thing y'all ever do is come to church. I've seen celebrities around town and Nicole Kidman, I'm telling you, I was walking through the mall a couple of years ago and something caught my eye. I didn't even know it was her, but she was all the way down the hallway at the mall and I said, who is that striking person? And as she got close to me, I, oh, power. <laughs> I believe it is for me. But then it gets better. And I'll, t- I'll tell you a quick story. We're going to run out of time. I'm, okay, that's all right. When I was in college, I had long hair. <clears throat> like, you know, really long hair is cool. It was, you know, 1980. And... Um, I'll listen to the clash, all right? So what did you expect? My roommate was from Florida, and he also had long hair, but his hair was real wavy, and when he would come out of the shower, he'd just shake his head and go, and I'm like, that's incredible. Do you know how much work it takes for me to put feathers in my hair, you know? That was a thing back then, trust me, all right? And he said to me, he said, hey, bro, you can have this too. This isn't natural. This is what they call a perm. I'd never heard that word before in my life. And I said, oh, pray tell. He goes, just when next time you go home, go to wherever your mom gets her hair done and tell them you want a perm and you'll have this. I'm like, done. So I went home, said to them, I want a perm. And when they got done, it was like this. I destroyed all evidence. You know why? I hated myself. It's funny now, but I looked in the mirror and I'm like, I I worked on the farm. I was in animal science. Like I worked with a bunch of rednecks. Like I'm like, I cannot go back to school like this. I went to a barber shop and said, can you fix this? And these older guys said, oh yes, we can. They cut all the curls out. And that's why I listened to the clash. I was the first punk rocker on our college campus. My hair just went. But I'm telling you honestly, um, it's funny, but it caused me great grief when what I thought was my appearance was now compromised. We love the way we look. And you know what? We believe that if I look just a little bit more better, I would be full. Laodicea was rich. They looked good. But they also, this was a fit group of people. Laodicea was the medical center of the known world. In fact, their medical center 
was so dynamic that they had created miracle drugs. One was there was a common blindness that was happening in the land. Their doctors had created a salve that actually helped to heal what they called the weak eye, where their eyes were starting to go blurry and they couldn't see anymore. It was innovative. These people not only were wealthy, they didn't look good. They were also people that were committed to fitness and being healthy. This is the people that said, we are wealthy and we have need of nothing. We're already full. We're full of cash. We're full of good looks. And we're also, we have our health. And listen to what Jesus said to them. You are eating the wrong things. Don't you realize that you're wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked? What Jesus is saying to us, specifically, when you feast on anything other than Jesus to give you life to the full, it is going to destroy your life. See, when good things, and these are good things, money's not a bad thing, fitness isn't a bad thing, even good looks, God bless all of you, is not a bad thing. But when good things become ultimate things, they replace God in our lives as giving us life to the full. Scripture calls that an idol. When we put an idol in the place of God, we replace, get this church, we replace power for wealth. And we think it's a fair trade. When we place idols in the center of our lives, then we, we move God from the God that we are, we're dependent upon to self-sufficiency. Idols steal from us, idols kill us, idols destroy who we are, period. Tim Keller said, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Did you hear that? An idol is anything that is more important to you than God. It's anything that you believe, if you have more of it, it's going to fill your life to the full other than God. And we got tons of them. I got tons of them. You got tons of them. He goes on to say, anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God, anything you seek that seek, anything you seek to give you what only God can give you, anything that is so central and essential to your life that if you should lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. That's an idol. And I got to tell you, my heart's like an idol factory. I absolutely feel oftentimes that I am literally helpless toward the idols that my heart keeps running after. My heart loves so many things that have nothing to do with God. And it gives so much affection to the things that have nothing to do with God. And if I'm blind to them, they're going to blind me. If I'm not aware of those things, they're going to constantly pick my pocket and convince me that I don't have what God has given me. So let's do a little test. You want to test and see what your idols are? Nope, I get it. That's right. <laughs> Let's all bow our heads and those who don't want to hear this can leave. All right? No. I'm just... What causes you to disobey God? Because you think about it, Martin Luther used to say that all sin has to break the first commandment before it can commit it. And the first commandment is, you will have no other gods before me. In other words, before, me, before I can commit any other sin, I have to commit the sin of, God, I'm putting another God ahead of you. 
I'm going to love something more than I love you. I'm not going to believe your promises. I'm actually going to believe my desires. So think about where you disobey God. When it comes to money, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to forgiveness, when it comes to work, when it comes to balance of life, when it comes to sex, when it comes to all these areas of life, where are you disobeying God? And how is it that you're saying to God, I love something more to you, more than you? I got nine more. You ready? It gives you greater joy than Christ. I hate that. Football season just started. It gives me the most excitement about the future. Promotions, future relationships, bigger houses, bigger vacations, bigger experiences. It's what I daydream the most about. Oh, gee. Are you kidding me? I don't know if I daydream about Jesus. That would seem kind of weird. But I love to daydream about cars and motorcycles. It's what I most talk about when I don't have anything to talk about. Idols oftentimes are the things that I fear losing the most. That I'm afraid I'm going to lose that. It could be your reputation. It could be your good name. It could be your success record. It could be the, the, the respect that you want from your kids. What do you fear losing the most? It's what I enjoy reading the most about. Oftentimes are where my idols are. Or it's what I most love spending money on. You know, we all have those things that we have to spend money on. And then there's those things that we love spending money on. <clears throat> those things that get our bank account open so easily that sometimes we're embarrassed about how easy it is to spend money. It's what I look to for heart renovation. Or like this, if I said, when you rest, what does it look like? Do you know how to rest? Sometimes our rest is identifying the very thing that we trust is going to fill us up to the full. Could be Netflix. I just need to be entertained. I just need to have some kind of break from life. Or what is it that you enjoy spending most of your time on? Or would if you could? What's your idol? Think about it. Hang on to it. If you only have one, then you're preaching next week, all right? I just want to prepare you because you are a saint. Like, I got tons of them. And here's the crazy thing is I've got all these idols in my life and my hands are so full of them, okay? And I'm hoping that they're all going to give me fullness of life. I don't even know what to do with them. We're going to get to that in just a second. Let me tell you the danger of idols. Jonah and the whale, you've heard this book of Bible. It's the oldest book in the Bible. And Jonah is running away from God. You know, he's gone. I'm not going to Nineveh. There's no way I'm going to do it. And he gets on a boat to take off to Tarsus. And the sailors say, what's going on? We're in the storm. What's happening? And Jonah goes, it's all my fault. It's all my fault. And they go, great, you're gone. Whoosh, they threw him over the boat. Go read. It's a fascinating story. It'd take you about 10 minutes to read the whole book. And as he's sinking to the bottom, he goes, this is it. 
I've rebelled against God. I'm running away from God. I'm telling God I'm not going to do what you're telling me to do. I'm dying. And in my dying breath, Jonah has clarity, absolute clarity. And as he's sinking down to the bottom of the ocean, he shouts out to God and he says to God, I'm going to remember you. And he said, in my remembering you, something became very clear about my own life. Those who cling to worthless idols forfeit the grace of God. Turn away from God's love from them. In other words, when I hang on to all my idols, I can't, those idols can't take away from me what Christ has given me, but it certainly has blinded me and impoverished me to the grace that is mine in Christ. There's a lot at stake here. Let me tell you why it's a lot at stake. God, hey, we're the church. We're the church. You know that you're forgiven. When Christ went to the cross, he forgave all your sins. The curse is gone. All your past sins, your present sins, all your future sins. When I say it is gone, there is now no separation between you and God now. Jesus has bridged that gap. You're in fellowship with him. So much so that God says, hey, call me father. Why? Because that's what I'm going to act like to you. What kind of a father? A good father. And call yourself son and daughter. In fact, because we are forgiven and the relationship is healed, do you know what that means? God has opened up the storehouses of the riches of heaven and says, I am going to pour on you limitless grace. Limitless. Here it comes. Hold on. Brace yourself. He's going to give us supernatural hope. We were with Napier this week. They're starting their first service next Sunday. And as I walked into that neighborhood and Jonathan Nash is looking at me and going, hey, that right there is where a guy got killed yesterday, right outside our property. And I said, you're kidding. And he said, no, man, this is, a, this is a crime scene over here. And I said, what do you need? Hope. This community needs hope. And guess what we have in supernatural proportions? Well, I'm spitting everywhere. Hope. That is who we are. In fact, we have the Holy Spirit. The third member of the Trinity dwells inside of you. Can you believe that? And that, that third member of the Trinity has brought pocket loads of gifts to you. And he's given you power and he's given you riches. Why? Because he's whispering in your ear saying, each one of you have been uniquely made. Why? Because God has a purpose for your life. And that purpose is to be lived out as a son of the high king of heaven. Now go and live that purpose with strength. And then you're going to learn something powerful. What is that? God also gives suffering. What? Yes. On this adventure, you're going to suffer, but you are the church. You are the church. And when I hold on to foolish idols, guess what it forfeits? That right there. And it doesn't forfeit it in the way that, that idols now have taken those things away from me. It can't. It can't take any of that stuff away from me. It blinds me and makes me think that I have none of this. And so I live impoverished while my pockets are full of gold. Do you know what faith is? I don't know what you've been taught. Faith is literally just putting my hands out saying more, please. More. <laughs> Faith is receiving the gifts of God. That's it. Yeah, I want them all. I want it all. I want your presence. I want your peace. I want your power. I want your sufficiency. I want your call. I want your grace to suffer well. I want it. And when I reach out like that and God is pouring stuff into me, now I begin to understand the whole story. 
And here's the whole story. Wow, I'm out of chalkboard paste. Here you go. This is the big G, Grace, all right? To me, that's me. And it doesn't stop there because we are not collectors. We're not antique dealers. We don't collect all the gifts of God, all the treasures of God, so we can put them up on shelves and go, welcome and behold, the trophy room. No, he gives them to us so that I can give them to you. I receive by faith. And when I get, I give. I give. And as I give, I get. I give, I get. And when I give, I better understand how to get. And when I get, I better understand how to give. And idols interrupt the entire process and steal from you who you really are. And you live your life small. And you live your life as if you can't make a difference. And you live your life as if the glory of heaven is not shining in you and you are now the light of the world. Wow. Okay. I won't do that. You want to do that? Let's get rid of these idols. How do we do it? Well, verse 18. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire. You'll be rich so that you can become rich. Your wealth has blinded you to what true riches are. He says, and white clothes to wear so that you can cover your shameful nakedness. All those fine clothes that you're wearing to look good, they're nothing compared to what I'm going to clothe you in. And salve to put on your eyes so you can see. Your doctors have nothing on me. So how do we do this? How do we go to Jesus and we get the riches to where we have real wealth, to where we have clothed with his righteousness, which is real looks, and I'm actually able to see honestly for the first time in my life. Verse 19, those whom I love, he's back to the in your face. Remember, I love you. I rebuke you because I love you. And I discipline you because I love you. So be earnest and repent. Here I am, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. So three things, repent, hear, open the door. This won't take but another hour. All right, hang on. Real quick, what is repentance? Hey, remember what repentance is. Repentance is not this thing that I do to finally get God to turn around and be happy with me. See, when I sin, I used to think that when I sin, especially if I sinned the same sin that I asked God to forgive me of last week or yesterday or 10 minutes ago, and I sinned, God was like this. He turned his back on me going, man, I don't even know why I waste my time with you. Like I've given you so much stuff. And what do you do? You just go and sin all the time. You know, you said that you wanted to be forgiven for all that anger that you spilt on everybody. And you said you would never do it again. And what are you doing? You're doing it again. That's how I felt. And I'm like, God, I promise I won't do it again. I promise this time. And I'd feel horrible for like a couple of days just to prove to God that I was serious. That's not repentance. I'm already forgiven. Even before I sinned, I was forgiven. There is nothing I can do to get God closer to me than he is right now. Nothing. He's so close to me that even when I was sinning, he was right there with me. Oh, no. <laughs> yes. There's nothing that can separate me from God. Nothing. Not even my own behavior. Repentance isn't to go get something that I don't have. Repentance is to wake me up to what I already have. 
Repentance is to bring me back to the sanity that I am his and he is mine. Repentance is bringing me back to that place, not of an exchange, because there is no exchange here. The only way God deals with us is by grace. It's a one-way love. He's not saying, if you love me back, I'll give you more. He's saying, I'm going to give you so much love and so much grace and so much mercy and so much hope and so much riches and so much power that all you have to do is put out your hands and let's see if you can handle it. Really? Are you kidding me? Really? My problem isn't a lack of getting where God wants me to be. My problem is a lack of receiving what God is trying to give to me. That's why it says in John, 1 John, he says, we love because we were loved. If I want to learn how to love, I have to first learn how much he's loving me. That's why we forgive. We forgive because we have been forgiven much. I forgive because I've received forgiveness. All right. So repentance is coming back to sanity. It's grieving that other things became more important. And I see that now. And I'm like acknowledging that. And I'm acknowledging it down to the core. Jesus, and here's hard. I really do love money more than I love you. My imagination really is captured by this more than you. I, when I really think about the future, I think about this more than I think about you. God, I despise the way you made me. I really do. I see so many more people on this planet that I'd rather look like, and I can't figure out why you didn't make me look like them. Like, and I love this more than I love you. We can go on and on. Repentance is seeing those things and crying out to God. We haven't put them down yet. Because I think that's impossible. Jesus said, do you hear my voice? Open the door and let me in. So we're about to come to this table. Jonathan Hari wrote a book called Chasing the Scream, The First and Last Days of the War on Drugs. Maybe you've read it. He has a very interesting premise in this, is that the answer to addiction is not sobriety. Let me try to explain it, and then we can debate whether it's true or not, but it helps us understand what we're about to do. He said there was a study done back in the 70s where they took rats and they put them in a cage all by themselves, and they had one water bottle that gave them fresh water and another water bottle that was full of water and cocaine. And almost, no, not almost, every rat in the cage drank the cocaine water until they got so addicted to it that they actually overdosed and killed themselves, 100%. Then they, they created what he called the, uh, the rat wonderland. And it was this huge cage with games and wheels and all kinds of foliage and lots of food and a bunch of other rats. And in this cage, they put a water bottle that had just water and then another water bottle that was laced with cocaine. Almost none of those rats ever drank from the cocaine. In fact, none of those rats became addicted and none of them OD'd. And it launched this whole idea that the cure for addiction isn't sobriety, it's community. When Jesus says, I'm knocking on the door and I'm coming in, he's saying, I know you don't know how to put these things down. 
And I know that you feel powerless because you love these things more than you love me. I know that. Let me in. When Jesus comes in and draws near to us, he begins to change our affections. We don't change our affections and then hope that our endeavors brings him near. We run to him with all our messiness, all our addictions, all our false loves, all our brokenness. We open the door and we go, Jesus, this place is a mess. Come on in. And you know what he does when he comes in? He reminds us who we are. And then he reminds us whose we are. Because he doesn't come in by himself. He comes in with the community called the church. Because we weren't made to do this alone. So here's what we're about to do. We're about to come to this table. And I'm going to ask you, would you come and repent here of your idols? Would you come and bring them up here and confess down to the core what you love more than you love God? And through this place, would you ask him to come and meet you and let him in? Now, Paul says to the Corinthians, on the night he was betrayed, he took the bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and he said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This is a sacrament. It's a place of power. And the reason it's a place of power is because Jesus is here. And why he's here is because he loves you. And love is powerful. Be careful. It's very powerful. Listen to the next words. So then, whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ, eat and drink judgment on themselves. This is why many among you are weak, sick, and some of you have died. What is he saying there? First, it's saying, if you don't know the Jesus that I'm talking about, stay where you are. This table's not for you yet. We'd love to talk to you, answer all your questions. But if you know the Jesus that I'm talking about, Jesus is telling you that the way he's moving toward you is with love. And when you come to this table, you're saying, Jesus, whatever it takes to fill me up with you, come and do it. And if I'm not in partnership with that, guess what's going to happen? Jesus is going to find himself working against you for you. And it's a simple matter of, Lord, here I am. You see my messy heart. Come, eat with me, fill me up, do what you need to do to make me your own. So the way we do it here at Midtown, when the band comes in and starts to pray, just come on up when you're ready. Uh, this is a time of worship and a time of you spending time with Jesus. So we intentionally slow down and give you lots of space. For some of you, that's hard. I get it. But would you try to stay in it? Uh, I know that uh, when you come down and then you exit out, it's easy kind of out there to get caught up with your friends and stuff. Well, let's honor the holiness of what's happening here and not, not use that hallway as a place for conversations, but rather a place for prayer. And if you can, stay in this with us uh, and listen to what the Lord has to say to you. When you come up, um, when you're ready to take communion, just put your hands out and those that are serving will serve you. If you would like prayer, just cross your chest and we will pray for you. 
Remember that the wine is in the outer rings. The rosy cups are the grape juice and you take what you need. Let me pray for us. And when you're ready, come to the Lord's table. Father, would you bless these elements? Would you bless this time? Holy Spirit, thank you that you're here, that you are fighting for us, that you're fighting that we would let go of those things that will never fill us to the full. And you're calling us to put them down and experience you, Jesus, in the fullness of life. So Lord, would you help my friends and guide them by giving them the gift of repentance? Help my friends here, Father, as they come to hear your voice and to open the door and let you come in. And maybe today is the start. The day is the new day. That this point of walking with you begins a whole new journey. Meet us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen.